Good morning. Thank you for braving the cold. Some of you knew you were braving, some of you did not. And so uh, I'm glad you're here uh, and decided to be with us and uh, for a cold uh, Sunday. But it's great to be together. As Timothy said, we are very hopeful that next week this will be rectified. We'll have heat. And, uh, it actually, today marks our fourth anniversary as a church. Uh, so it's a great anniversary gift unto us. <laughs> come in in 35 degree weather is that yes that's right but it, we are very grateful for all that God's done and humbled uh, for the last four years and we rejoice and all that and I'm excited as we begin 2018 together and, and so glad you're here uh, with us this past fall we delved into the first 20 chapters of the Old Testament book of Exodus and as we went deeper in and approached chapter 20 where God gave the law, He gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, we thought pastorally that it would be good for us to begin the new year by looking more thoroughly at the Ten Commandments, at the law that God gave to His people. Now, when I say Ten Commandments, what words come to your mind? What words come to your mind? Uh, rules. Maybe outdated Heston, Charlton Heston, anyone? Uh, restrictive, uh, perhaps oppressive. Maybe people have used them to be self-righteous. The, you know, there was a survey put out by the Princeton Religious Research Center, and the title of the survey was, Religion is Gaining Ground, But Morality is Losing Ground. And the report showed that increases in church attendance and Bible reading have been offset by a simultaneous decline in morality. Now, how is that possible? How can people be more interested in God and at the same time less willing to do what God says? Now, George Barna has recorded that despite the majority of Americans saying they believe in a God, the overwhelming majority, 93%, said that they and nobody else determine what is and what is not moral in their lives. They base their decisions on their own experience, even on a daily whim. You know, we live in a time where we are encouraged to be a law unto ourselves. That's true inside and outside the church. It's been shown time and time again that Christians and non-Christians respond in almost identical ways when questions are raised concerning certain issues, issues like greed and sexuality and racism. So let me ask you a question. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Could you write out all Ten Commandments? You know, there was a time that the church educated everyone according to the Ten Commandments. Little children could recite all ten. And I would venture to say that the majority of church attenders could not write all ten down. Maybe four of the ten. Now, I'm not saying that to make you wallow in guilt. I'm saying that to say that I think Christians' lack of understanding of God's law is one of the biggest reasons the church looks more like the culture rather than the church changing and transforming the culture. 
The Ten Commandments are a gift to God's people. They were to Israel the perfect path of freedom. How they were to walk with God in their newfound liberation from bondage out of Egypt. How they were to use their lives to reflect and glorify God. I heard Tim Keller use the analogy of a skyscraper to describe the Ten Commandments. So take for us, uh, I don't know if, uh, Trevor, you live in New York, I don't know if one city center can be determined a skyscraper or not, but it's the building, biggest building in downtown Durham, the new one that's going up a few blocks away. Uh, it's, it's the largest building in downtown. Do you remember, if, if you were here, the first thing that the construction crew put up? It's the, it was the high steel. Right? It's, the, it's the steel from top to bottom that the great building, any great building, is, is hung on. And the Ten Commandments, Keller says, are like the high steel in which a great life is hung. So if you want to build a life of courage, of, of kindness, of grace, of virtue, of beauty, the Ten Commandments undergird and support such a life. Now, I think it's really important for us to understand how the culture thinks about the Ten Commandments. And it's good to hear Tim Keller's analogy, but I think the most important thing is that we look and we understand how Jesus views the Ten Commandments. So this morning, what I want to do is an introductory sermon of Jesus' view of the law, and then next week, we'll begin to look at each of the Ten Commandments. Next week, we'll look at the First Commandment, the week after that, the Second, until we finish the Ten. So we're going to look this morning, not at Exodus 20, but at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And to get your blood pumping, I'm going to ask you to stand once more as we read God's Word. We do this every Sunday if you're, this is your first time guest. We're not doing it just because it's cold. We, we stand to give attention to God's Word and, and what He wants to speak to us this morning. So this is God's Word out of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, let me pray. God, I ask that you would come now and, and that you would speak to us, that you would, by the written word, in the power of the Spirit, open up our hearts, plant your truth deep within us, give us minds that are illuminated with your truth, help us to have, have ears to hear, and, and Lord, I do pray that uh, this would be the beginning of the, the next 10 weeks where you are transforming and changing your people, uh, us, into who you've called us to be. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are with us. Remove me, the preacher, so that Christ and Christ alone is exalted. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, Matthew chapter 5, 
through 7, perhaps you know this, is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him in his kingdom. Now, it's really important for us to remember this, that no one at this point was expecting Jesus to die on a cross. The big question for Jews in relation to Jesus was, Jesus, do you believe the law of Moses? Jesus, are you in line with the Old Testament? Jews in first century held the law and the commandments of God in high regard. Jews still do this very day. If, if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, part of the ceremony is to read from the Torah, from the law. In fact, bar mitzvah literally means son of the commandment. And bat mitzvah literally means daughter of the commandment. And so Jesus knew that first century Jews would be scrutinizing his view of the law. For the commandments were the heart of following God. And right out of the gate, Jesus lets everyone know his view of the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets, Jesus says in other times in Scripture, and other scriptural writers will say that, that is is just a reference to the whole Old Testament. Anytime you see law and prophets, that's a reference to the the Old Testament. But we're going to see this morning three things about Jesus and the law. The first is that Jesus upholds the law. The second is that Jesus holds up the law. And lastly, Jesus fulfills the law. Let's look first at Jesus upholding the law. Verses 17 to 18, uh, Jesus starts out and is crystal clear on how he views the law and the prophets. So if anyone is confused, he states his view in a negative and in a positive way. First, he states it negatively. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. My ministry does not get rid of the Old Testament law. And then he puts it positively. He says, truly I say to you, which by the way was a very abnormal way uh, for for speaking for a Jewish teacher. Uh, Normal teaching uh, from a Jewish teacher would quote someone of authority. They would reference another and say, so-and-so says this. But Jesus, like he does in other parts of Scripture, says, truly, I say unto you, out of his own authority, out of, because he is the teacher of all teachers, Jesus says, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. An iota is the smallest Greek letter. Not a tiny dot will pass. Every single part of God's law remains. It remains as it is written. Jesus is saying, I uphold every single part of the law. Now, maybe you're like, yes, we get that. Because it would be a waste of time for us to spend the next 10 weeks looking at each commandment if the commandments just go away. Jesus upholds the commandments. Later in Matthew's Gospel 19, chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, if you would enter life, if, if you want to experience life, keep the commandments. 
Jesus teaches that life, the the perfect path of freedom, is not found in moral relativism, personal decision to do as you wish when you wish, but rather it is found in following and obeying God's commandments. They don't thwart self-expression, but they lead us to ways that are best for us. Jesus upholds the entire law. Second thing we see is that Jesus holds up the law. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever relaxes the law, if you dial down the law, you're least in the kingdom. Jesus does not minimize the law. In fact, he is teaching his followers the very function of the law. Phil Riken in his commentary says that the law has three purposes. It's a map, a path for us to walk. It's a muzzle restraining evil. And it's a mirror reflecting back to us our sinfulness in ways in which we fall short of God's standard. You gotta understand this the function of the law has never been to rescue and save God's people. If you were here in Exodus, God already delivered, already rescued the Israelites from bondage, and then he gives his commandments. I've heard too many people say that Old Testament Christians were saved by keeping the law, and New Testament Christians are saved by faith in Jesus. That's just not true. All people in every age were saved by grace through faith in the coming Messiah. For us, we know the one who has already come, Jesus. Jesus does not relax the law. Jesus, in fact, republishes the law. He reframes our understanding of the Mosaic law. We're going to see this in the coming weeks, but but take the seventh commandment, thou shalt not murder. Jesus doesn't let us get off the hook because we've not actually physically murdered someone. Jesus says, if you get angry, you've committed murder. That time you got angry behind the steering wheel. For me, that's daily. The the time you shut that person out of your life because you got upset at them and you no longer wanted to speak to them. That time you slandered another person behind their back. Murder is what Jesus says. Jesus takes the box of the command of murder and unpacks it. He republishes the law, makes it deeper and broader. Adultery, it's a command that unpacks all of sexuality. It it applies to every person, single, married, divorced. The, The commands were and are in large part a mirror We're to hold them up against our lives. And Jesus deepens and broadens the commandments. And when we begin to understand the commands and they're held up against our lives, we're left exposed. Guilty of being a commandment breaker. Uh, I heard a pastor reference what the Allied forces did in World War II in Germany. When They were cleaning up after the war, and they went in and gathered German citizens who had been complicit in some way to Nazi Germany and took them from their towns and and made them come and and help clean up from the concentration camps. 
And there's black and white footage of Germans walking through concentration camps with towels over their noses, protecting themselves from the stench of death. Tears streaming down their faces as they saw firsthand the horror of the concentration camps. This is what the law of God does to us. We think we're not that bad. And so God marches us through our own hearts, and it is His grace to allow us to smell the stench and see the destruction of our sin and our sinful ways. A mirror, when held up, lets us see the dirt on our face. The law as mirror, when held up against our lives, allows us to see the dirt of our hearts. But just like a mirror cannot clean off your face, neither can the law cleanse your heart. The mirror leads you to water. The law leads us to a Savior who can cleanse us. I heard a pastor, Joe Novenson, refer to the law by asking his congregation, can you kiss the knife that cuts you? Can you kiss the knife that cuts you? The law is a great gift from God, but it cuts us wide open. Not to leave you bleeding, but to lead you to the one who can heal. That's my last point. Jesus fulfills the law. Look at verse 17. He says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is the only perfect Israelite. The only perfect human. When the law is held up against Jesus' life, he is without spot or blemish. Look at the Ten Commandments. The first command, have no other gods. Jesus never bowed to another idol. He worshiped only God and he did so perfectly. Second command, have no graven images. Jesus worshiped the Father rightly and was zealous for others to do the same. Commandment number three, do not take the name of God in vain. And that's not just about cursing. It's about speaking about and representing God rightly. Jesus perfectly revealed and spoke of His Father. He was the image of the Father. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 16, tells us that it was Jesus' custom that He would be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. He honored both his heavenly father and his earthly parents. He even made provision for his mother Mary after he died. Commandment number six, do not murder. I think I called that number seven earlier, but it's number six. See, I need to spend time in the commandments. Not only did Jesus not murder, he healed and preserved life. Jesus saved life. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Not only was Jesus pure, but he treated women with decency. He never shamed them, lusted after them, or ignored them. He honored them. Commandment number eight, do not steal. His very life was a gift. He came to give his life away so that we might have life. Commandment number nine, do not lie. Jesus always spoke the truth, even to his own hurt. Commandment number, number 10, do not covet. Jesus was the most content 
person that ever lived. Jesus kept the law that we could not. He fulfilled it to give us the life that we do not deserve. This is the good news of Jesus. that He not only forgives us of our sin, but He gives us His righteous living. Try as you may to be good enough. But let me tell you, the Pharisees and the scribes were pretty darn good. And verse 20 says that your righteousness, our righteousness, must surpass their righteousness. They were strict adherers to the law. So much so that if they found a dime, they would tithe a penny. How about you and me? I mean, verse 20 is an indictment. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a tall order for anyone. But thanks be to God that verse 20 happens by faith in Jesus and not by our good works. God looks at Jesus' perfect keeping of the law. God takes His righteousness and gives you and I credit for it. That's great news. That's the good news. Jesus upholds the law. It's still alive and well today for God's people. Jesus holds up the law. It's a mirror that lets us see our sin. And thanks be to God that Jesus fulfills the law and gives us credit for it. The point of this sermon series in the Ten Commandments is not for you to leave every Sunday thinking you need to go and be better. Or for you to leave thinking you need to, you need to go and be like Jesus. The point of the series is to open up the box of each command and lead us to Jesus, to rest in Him by faith. And then as we are set free from the guilt and the power of sin because of our faith in Christ and His work on our behalf, we are liberated to walk in obedience and righteousness. It's the three-step dance of the Christian life. Whole life is three steps. Repent, believe, and fight. Repent, believe, and fight. In the midst of our moral crisis that's inside and outside the church, a time in which we're a law unto ourselves, the way our society is going to change is when God's people have an awakening to Him and to His ways. When the church is revived and zealous again for God. And when this happens, we'll no longer be a church driven by the winds of the cultural moment, but we'll be a purging force of change for the righteous and good ways of our God. Let me give you three tests as we close. Three ways to just apply. Here's the first. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Memorize them. Learn them. Learn the depth and breadth of the commandments. Here's the second one. Will you kiss the blade that cuts you? Do you love them and know that they are God's good gift to you? And will you spend time and let God open you up for your need of Jesus? Here's a last one. This is a good one for many of us who've been in the church for a while. How are you with other commandment breakers? 
When you see how Jesus republishes the law, broadening and deepening the commands, you're going to see your sin. It's going to humble you, and you you know you need Jesus, and it's going to give you empathy toward other commandment breakers. You know, Jesus was the most severe towards the self-righteous, but the most gracious and loving person ever to the prostitute and the unclean and the destitute. A prayer is our time each Sunday over the next 10 weeks will be a time where God unpacks our understanding of each commandment. He cuts us open for our need of Jesus, causing us to turn to Him and to cry out, Help me. Forgive me. I need your righteousness. Change my heart and then empower me to walk this path of freedom. Would God make you a daughter or a son of the commandment? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do. Lead us to repentance. Give us great joy in believing all that Christ has done on our behalf and then liberate us to walk in this path of freedom to to be who you've called us to be as your people. Lord, thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen.